Hello and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie, brought to you by Killer Podcasts and Evergreen Podcasts Network. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. It's the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the unexplainable, the macabre, and the bizarre and tries to find an answer. Hi, Caroline. Hi. Uh, we are embarking on a first or on a new path for Ain't It Scary this week. Because never, Caroline, have we dedicated an entire episode to following a cult. Yeah, I don't think so. It seems like a blind spot for us, given our subject matter. Well, so many of the big ones are also such big topics that they warrant a ton of research in several episodes. You know, you got the, uh, you got Heaven's Gate, you got Jonestown and Jim Jones, you got the Manson family. I mean, those are all multi-part series. The Branch Davidian. Yeah, even that. So, I mean, it's a lot to dig into, but I'm looking forward to this. We'll mention David Koresh in this episode. You'll be happy to hear. I mean, I guess. Um, because this week we are discussing the Order of the Solar Temple. Mm. Um, maybe not as, certainly not as well known as the death cults you just mentioned, Carrie. Yeah, but they sound culty. They sure do. Um, although, I don't think the members, well, maybe this is true of all cults, right? Or most of them. But I don't think the members of the Order of the Solar Temple would have told you that they were in a cult as of 1990, I don't know, three, a year before um, <laughs> 74 or more uh, members of the cult died in its, uh, oh my. in its dramatic flaming out. Well, um, yeah, most people, uh, if they're true believers, of course, they're not going to tell you they're in a cult. They're telling you, they're going to tell you that they're on the right path and everyone else is wrong. Um, yes. And I want to draw a distinction here between cults and the occult. Yes. They're not always linked. Because these folks would have told you that they were in an occult secret society. Mm -hmm. But a cult, no, no way. Well, for them, you can't spell, to, spell a cult without cult. Uh, the Order of the Solar Temple was dedicated to maintaining the secret traditions and preserving the world order valued by the ancient Knights Templar. Can you tell me now if this gets like weirdly racist? Um, not as much as most cult and uh, conspiracy stuff. All right. Now, uh, the they, Knights Templar? They do talk a lot about purity, actually. Uh, I don't like that. I didn't look too too hard at the word purity. Uh, they, they don't seem to have uh, racist overtones, although I don't, I haven't seen any black people who were in this group. Well, could have been undertones. Could have been a subtext. It was also in Switzerland and Canada, so it's, you know, demographically. White? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, from its founding in the 1980s, the Order of the Solar Temple's two charismatic leaders used the group and its members as a financial and sexual playground. Um, yep, that's what usually happens. Which is what usually happens in the case of uh, when, when things start getting culty. When things start getting bad. And things did start getting bad and very culty for the Order of the Solar Temple until its fiery climax in the mid-90s which again claimed the lives of at least 74 members of this cult through murder and suicide. Jeez. Ugh. It's easy to dismiss a cult sometimes as like, oh, well, that could never happen to me because only stupid people, only gullible people, right. only losers. But no, I mean, they use brainwashing. They literally rewire you. If you give them the opportunity. And of course, that's not always a consent thing, right? But if they have an opportunity to get into your mind, I mean, 
These are the master manipulators. Jonestown, he, and listen, those people were murdered, but a lot of them killed themselves, you Uh, know, and not the type of people that would do that. In the tragic conflagration that ended the order of the Solar Temple, the dead included local government officials, powerful business people, journalists, I mean, professionals uh, with education and money and people who you wouldn't expect to be pulled in by this kind of thing. Right. Kind of like Nexium too. Yes. So that very much preyed on young women, but a lot of them had a lot of money and that's what they used to their advantage. Uh, people with money are always great targets for cults actually, mm-hmm. because uh, what cults mainly want is usually money, uh, sex, or some combination of the two. Money sex. Money sex. Just sex on money, which is probably <laughs> how Scrooge McDuck likes to do it. Oh, I don't want to think about that. Carrie, you asked about the Knights Templar. I did, yes. And yes, indeed. Um, This group was meant to mimic and um, reenact the traditions of the Knights Templar, or uh, so it said. There's a couple of different schools of thought of Western kind of esoteric, New Agey occultism. Mm -hmm. And you've got Theosophy, which we've talked about before. Um, Madame Blavatsky uh, is probably the best-known theosophist, and uh, theosophists are always drawing on the ancient wisdom of, like, Tibetan masters who are Mm -hmm. uh, immortally living in mountains or under the earth or whatever. Um, And, in fact, you get some of that in Knights Templar stuff, but this is actually a whole other category of Western occultists. Is Um, it more, like, Christianity-based? It's related to Christianity, but so is Rosicrucianism, which we'll talk about today. That's also related, yeah, to the Knights Templar. And so is uh, Freemasonry. They all kind of, they're all a tangled web. And Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to hear about all of them here. But uh, let's start with the Knights Templar themselves, the real ones. Yeah, what are their traditions? Uh, The Knights, well, here's the thing. We don't know because they were secretive and uh, they're all gone. Yeah, it's been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. (laughs) Yeah, so these Templarist orders, these kind of Neo-Templar orders, as they're called, um, really just, we'll talk about it, but the best they can do is mostly take cues from um, Freemasons for what like secret society shit looks like. Yeah. So it tends to end up looking a lot like a like a Masonic lodge. Yeah, I have to admit the most that I know about this kind of stuff really comes from like the Da Vinci Code and I know that's not uh factual, but you know, I I definitely did some reading into it like is this stuff real, you know, cuz I read it in middle school or whatever. Um but that's really all I know about the Knights Templar and all that kind of Christian secret society stuff. Yeah, well, they were a military order, a religious military order that was founded in 1119 during the Crusades. And they were crusaders. They were crusaders. They did a lot of killing Muslim people, which I guess was supposed to convert them to Christianity somehow. Mm, It's Uh, not adding up. In France, at least, the Knights Templar, who were very powerful and very popular when the Crusades were going well, were persecuted and then disbanded in 1307. Um, The Templars got much less popular after the Crusades started going badly, and then when they lost and were expelled from the Muslim world, and then they were very much ingrained in the lives and the fabric of society for a little while. They had, like, clerical roles in government and stuff. 
Um, but all of a sudden they got much less popular when it was like, oh, the Crusades are over. What are these guys still doing around here? Mm-hmm. And there was this one king in France, King Philip IV, decided they were too independent, too powerful. Um, and he made up a bunch of like anti-Christian rumors, basically, like about how they ate Christian children and had rituals to Satan and stuff. And Again, that doesn't really add up, does it? So like 30 to 50 of these guys were burned at the stake in France. And then again, in 1307, the order was banded, uh, disbanded by the Pope altogether, although that only took hold really in France. But they declined elsewhere pretty soon after that. So what about them makes people want to like remake them? Well... The interesting thing is the rise of Templar beliefs kind of in the more closer to modern age is related to Freemasonry, which, again, is one of those other kind of schools of Western esoteric thought. Mm -hmm. Um, When Freemasonry was spreading through France and Germany and they were trying to get more, I mean, richer, more influential people on board, like nobles and stuff. um, It was helpful to take on the idea that some of these Knights Templar from France had fled to England and Scotland and brought their Templar traditions with them. And the Masons were therefore kind of the heirs to Templar tradition. And all of this was basically a, a PR move for Freemasonry. Right. To help it kind of, because ugh, that's gross. We don't, we don't want to do what a bunch of like trowel cement <laughs> guys do. What workers? No, it's ridiculous. I know they have a lot of, traditions in terms of like presentation and and ritual and stuff but do the masons really think that they're doing a kind of magic uh, yes i i mean all of the i i think that's a question for individual masons right mm. there's no question what they're doing is magical ritual it's definitely ritualistic and mat i mean with magical intention but I think with modern, probably, I would guess, I've never been to a Masonic Lodge meeting. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a Masonic ritual, but I would guess that most of them are like a like a rotary club <laughs> more so now. Right. I just think it's so interesting because whenever you think of magic nowadays or be- believers in magic, it's always like, oh, the gothy girl down the street, you know, burning As- the sage. But it might be the old man that works at the bank and has a funky ring on. And know? attends church every Sunday. Yeah, like he he's also thinking he's doing magic. It's a very interesting thing because it's, it's something we don't really talk about. It's like, oh, these guys think they're doing magic. Yeah. And, and, and no one bats an eye at it. <laughs> and these people definitely thought they were doing magic. Yes. And they, I, I guess what we see with the solar temple is like the super extreme logical conclusion of all the Freemasonry type activity. Like if, I don't know if we'd call it a logical conclusion. If you took it all really, really seriously, mm-hmm. it's uh, this is the this is where you you end up. Mm. So the Knights Templar were kind of used as a marketing tool for Freemasonry, and this led to Knights Templar degrees in several Masonic orders. Freemasonry isn't just one thing. It's like a bunch of different Masonic orders and lodges, and they all have their own traditions, and they don't like each other very much. Um, so what's a Knights Templar degree? Is it like your bachelor's in being burned at the stake? Well, you know, it's <laughs> after you get your secret ceremonial sword and robe or whatever. Not and, magical at all. And your little square hammer. You know, then by going through another certain 
initiation ritual, you might get the rank of Knights Templar or mm. Knight Templar in your Masonic Lodge. Mm-hmm. And then there's little like sub-organizations of Knights Templars within these Masonic Lodges. But then the Templar organizations within the Masonic Orders started to say, wait, hold on a second. If the Templars really sort of started the Freemasons, that's what you guys told us, then we should really be in charge. As the modern Templars, we should be, and the Freemasons should be subordinate to our order. Mm. And that led to several Knights of the Temple and related names, uh, kind of organizations in the 1800s who all claimed to trace their lineage back to the original Knights Templar through like members or through found wisdom or through whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, these things were popular briefly, but they declined to a minor curiosity by the turn of the century. So that's where Templar, Neo-Templarism kind of stood in 1900. Mm-hmm. The Templars had existed from the 1100s to the 1300s. Nobody thought of them for several, several hundred years. Mm-hmm. And then eventually uh, some occultists, basically, in the 1800s was very popular to be spiritualistic or occult in the 1800s. And uh, some of these guys took on this sort of ancient pedigree of magic to give themselves some legitimacy. Mm-hmm. But then the trend died out. And it was only some enterprising esotericists in the mid 20th century who would bring that train back a rolling starting with french author jacques brayer who i can only because of a disease in my brain <laughs> i can only picture him as jack mcbrayer from uh, 30 rock kenneth from 30 rock so he's just like ha i can't believe i'm at these ruins and he he stayed at the ruins of argony castle Okay. From 1952 until 1959. So he lived in this ruin for seven years. Okay. And during this time, Breyer had a his whole kind of... He was a bit of a, a Madame Blavatsky figure in that he wanted to... He's a bit of a Blavatsky, isn't bit, he? A bit of a Blavatsky. He wanted to create a new school of esoteric occult thought that would kind of span the globe the way theosophy had, uh, you know, I don't know, 30 or 40 years before. During his stay at Argeny Castle, Breyer claimed to have psychically contacted 11 Templar archmasters. Old members of the Knights Templar, long dead, but buried within the walls of the castle, who came to give him wisdom and guidance. Mm-hmm. Upon the instruction of these ancient Templar masters... By the way, does that sound familiar from theosophy at all? Oh, yeah. You're always getting special messages from people, you know, gods or whatever. Yeah. Uh, if anyone who, God, if you haven't listened to our George Adamski, he's my favorite person. So stop listening to this and go listen to it. But, all right. Well, I guess we're getting a divorce. George. Oh, no. Uh, second favorite person. <laughs> uh, George Adamski started out wanting to be one of these theosophists. He started out channeling wisdom from ancient masters and then just changed to Venusian masters later on. Under the instruction of these archmasters, Breyer founded the Sovereign Order of the Solar Temple, um, which was, uh, you know, his kind of neo-Templar group in France, mostly doing Masonic stuff, but trying to dress it up as the uh, modern continuation of the ancient Templar tradition. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, a sister group, the Renewed Order of the Temple, popped up (laughs) among some Rosicrucian friends of Breyer. Oh, did that? Uh, did those 
ancient masters cheat on Brayer and and give away their secrets to another order? Well, no, it's more that he like Brayer actually was central to all of this. He was look he these occultists in France at this time saw Brayer as like the new Jesus. Oh boy. And they felt he had had genuine contact with these ancient masters and it was very exciting. The whole world should be excited about Brayer's experience and we should all learn from him and find out ways to um, recreate this experience, hmm. basically. Um, and these Rosicrucians became interested as well. Now, what's a Rosicrucian? Yeah. Again, another school of, of Western esoteric occult thought. But when you look at these things, if you let your eyes go a little bit out of focus... Um, I always do. Uh, the Neo-Templarism and Rosicrucianism and Freemasonry all look very similar. Sure does to me, yeah. It's all like extended degrees of initiation and ritual and secrets, largely for the sake of ritual and secrets, and always with the feeling that there's more knowledge that you can unlock. Right. So if if the Freemasons are like the Rotary Club... You know, on this side of the scale, the Rotary Club, like your uncle Dave could be a Freemason to the Order of the Solar Temple, um, which is like the most ritualistic, the most occult based, the most culty. It's a real scale as to where these things could go. Yeah. And uh, even if you haven't heard of Rosicrucians, you may have heard of, say, the Golden Dawn. Mm -hmm. um, very influential occult society that Aleister Crowley was briefly a member of. Um, the Golden Dawn was doing just Rosicrucian stuff. And in fact, their symbol was the rosy cross ribbon, which is the Rosicrucians thing. So it's all, all of this ritual magic stuff. Um, all of the Western versions of it uh, are, are really interrelated and, um, I don't know, incestual. <laughs> Sure. And it all goes back. Uh, I mean, a lot of it goes back to Christianity and Catholicism. And that's a whole nother level of ritual and magic that isn't really called ritual and magic. Yes. Well, it is called ritual, but not, but not in the way that it really is. <laughs> um, so you had the renewed order of the temple alongside the sovereign order of the solar temple. And there were tensions between the two groups, as it's the same thing as when you have groups, uh, different groups of UFO nerds or ghost <laughs> sure. nerds. They, you know, they don't like each other, even though they're all kind of aiming at the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so tensions would uh, flare up occasionally between these two groups. And in 1981, it was deemed necessary to get all of these new Neo-Templars together and do a ritual swearing of allegiance to the once and future supreme secret master of the temple who's that well it didn't say but i think that means jesus oh, i thought maybe brayer no i think the, the the once and future makes me think that oh. it's like he's he's you know like the once and future king mm. now this ritual was held on the grounds of a third party called not the golden dawn but the golden way foundation okay founded by a man named joseph de mambro now, DeMambro himself would later call March 21st, 1981, a moment more important than Breyer's revelation in the castle at Argeny. Mm. Because this moment, in DeMambro's eyes, represented the true birth of the Order of the Solar Temple. Which would be Joseph DeMambro's brainchild, and eventually his death. Oh. 
Now, here's a picture of Joseph DeMambra. I mean, if you pull up to a car lot and that's the owner, you're you're not buying a car from this guy, right? Or you're definitely buying a car from him. Because that's a used car lot owner. You and I need to talk about strategy before the next time we need a car. Um, because, yes, he looks like the archetypal uh, used car lot owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, in fact, DeMambro was a French watchmaker and jeweler who joined the Rosicrucian organization AMORC, A-M-O-R-C, in 1956, when he was 32 years old. He apparently had a knack for it because he became head of his local lodge. And um, I guess eventually Rosicrucianism wasn't quite enough occult juice for DeMambro. And he started doing demonstrations as an occult medium, channeling spirits and, yes, sometimes ancient Tibetan masters. They must be like, Joe, ugh, enough. With what? I was sleeping. Oh, the masters? Yeah. yeah leave them alone, for God's sakes. Gosh. And they've been sleeping, remember, for hundreds of years. Exactly. And now, all of a sudden, everybody's knocking on the temple door. <laughs> Damambro declared himself part of the Argeny movement and traveled to Egypt and Israel to see these holy lands for himself. He actually claimed that his son, Elio, was conceived on Mount Carmel, which is uh, apparently a location associated with the prophet Elias. So, Elio, Elias... I don't know. I mean, or you should be embarrassed that you're telling everyone you banged on this holy mountain. Like, yeah. (laughs) Probably... Probably prosecutable. (laughs) Possibly. Technically. It's a... Come on. It's a tourist. It's a a picnic area, (laughs) Demombro. DeMambro got in trouble in France for writing bad checks and ended up in Switzerland where he became a full-time yogi and spiritual guru. I mean, I want that job. Yeah, he's doing... At this point, he's George Adamski minus the hamburger stand. Mm-hmm. DeMambro started an occult commune called La Pyramide. Mm, the Pyramid. Mm-hmm. Ironic name or just descriptive name because it was a pyramid scheme in which he encouraged his students to live communally and then took all of their stuff that's usually how it happens yeah eventually la pyramide was maybe deemed to be too obvious a name and it was renamed to the golden way foundation Mm -hmm. students were again encouraged to give up worldly things and listen to demambro's teachings demambro by now was claiming to channel the wisdom of the great white brotherhood uh-oh. Not white racially, though. Because the names we have are, uh, besides obviously Christ, um, but he was also channeling Osiris, hmm. Moses, Cagliostro. Who's that? Um, an Italian Freemason. Okay. Like, just kind of a... He's a really interesting guy who I didn't know about before this, but, but a, a very interesting... He was basically just a Freemason mm-hmm. who was involved in the affair of the Diamond Necklace. In France. Oh. Um, it, it doesn't matter. He, he, he was sort of a charlatan who was eventually killed for trying to open Masonic lodges. Mm. Uh, he was a self-described magician. Um, and DeMambro would also channel the Egyptian pharaoh Akhenaten, who he would, he would eventually claim, start claiming that he was just the resurrected Akhenaten. <laughs> All right, Moon Knight work. So DeMambro's got ideas, right? Big ideas. <laughs> That's what he has, for sure. And he even had a knack for showmanship in the seance medium style of showmanship. You know, knocking on... the He had the, the knack for the knock on the table. <laughs> um, but again, 
and I direct you back to this picture, Carrie. Look at the guy. Well, you got to have a knack for something. His brand was going to need a little more pop (laughs) if he was going to do any heavy recruiting. Mm. And that is where, unfortunately, Luc Jure came in. Here's a picture of Luc Jure. Okay. I mean, he looks like Jeremy Irons in a wig. So incredibly handsome is what you're saying? I wouldn't say incredibly. Um, just a, He looks like a normal guy. Luc Jure. He's just a guy. In 1982, Luc Jure was an internationally known homeopathic doctor and an electric speaker who was doing speaking engagements all over the globe. Did he have a medical degree? Yes, he actually did, but he moved away from traditional medicine, he said, because he was um, disgusted with what he saw in the industry, and uh, he started making a really good living just talking about um, kind of Eastern, traditional, and homeopathic medicine uh, on the road. Mm-hmm. He was also a member of the Renewed Order of the Temple, so he and DeMombro, um, as you know, fellow ro- vaguely Rosicrucian dudes... <laughs> Um, saw eye to eye on things. And by late 1982, Jure was fully on board, adding not just a trusted ally for DeMombro, but an engaging public front for the emerging Order of the Solar Temple. Jure's Amenta Clubs, which he had formed to manage his international speaking engagements, like he had these in different countries across the world, US, Canada, France, Switzerland. And you would go to the local Amenta Club maybe and see some speakers um, there'd be to- talks on topics like love and biology and medicine and conscience. And often uh, the famous doctor, Dr. Luc Jure, would be there speaking. And it was very exciting. And he formed these clubs? Yes, it was his club. There couldn't have been that many, right? I No. He ha- couldn't have been that popular. No, like half a dozen, but they were in different countries different all over countries. the world. Okay. And always Jure would be hinting at the virtues of secret wisdom that only mysterious ancient masters would be able to provide. Mm-hmm. Interested parties would get memberships to the Amenta Club, and if they were really lucky and paid up, and paid up, well, if they were, if they seemed likely to pay up, <laughs> they might be invited to join the Acadia Club, where they would gain access to the most secret rituals and knowledge. Club within a club. Yeah, of course. Then, once you join the Acadia Club, you're informed of the higher secret circle of true international knighthood, which was the Order of the Solar Temple. Sounding a lot like Scientology so far. It really, really... These guys laid out the blueprint. And each of these circles, before you even get to the Order of the Solar Temple, has many ranks within it. Of course. And each promotion comes with... Listen, you have to do a ritual for the promotion. These Masonic groups are all about ritual and initiation. And you have to pay. And you have to pay for expensive costumes and swords and uh, just straight up initiation fees Mm -hmm. and props. And yeah, you have to give all of your money to the organization. At its peak in 1989, the order, that's the top level, right? The order of the solar temple had about 442 members around the globe, Mm -hmm. mostly in Canada, France, and Switzerland. Now, Carrie, you may be asking, this is a semi-religious occult society, right? What do they believe? I do be asking that. And it's a difficult question, because uh, to some degree, the beliefs of the Solar Temple are shrouded in mystery. 
because that is the point of a secret society, right? Right. You, I mean, they, they really play on people just dying to know the tea. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, that's, I think, Scientology's fatal flaw. Obviously, they're doing fine. But their fatal flaw, if they have one, is too many people know about the stupid story with the jetliner and the volcano and Xenu. Yeah. But there's a lot of people, you know, if you have only 400 people, it's much easier to control information getting out than thousands and thousands, maybe millions. A hundred percent. By 1987, Luc Jure was laying out the group's aims as the following. To reestablish the correct <laughs> notions of authority and power in the world. Fancy boy. To affirm the primacy of the spiritual over the temporal. I can't, I, I, it's turning German, so I'm going to just uh, give up on Luc Jure's uh, accent there. Give back to man the consciousness of his dignity. Help humanity through its transition. Mm-mm. Participate in the assumption of the earth in its three planes, body, soul, and spirit. Work toward the union of the churches and toward the convergence of Christianity and Islam. That was, to be fair, a big part of the original Templars. Mm-hmm. And prepare for the return of Christ in solar glory. Whenever a cult or a group, if you don't know they're a cult, mentions some kind of big transition, uh, get away. That usually means everyone's killing themselves. Yes, that is a telltale sign or killing of other people. Millennialism. And millennial cults are ones that they, they doesn't mean that they live with their parents forever and <laughs> uh, uh, will, will never grow up and like superhero movies. Damn. It means... Um, that cut close to the quick. It means that they believe a new... It doesn't have to be in the year 2000. The millennial cults are especially popular around nice round even years because they look like just a good time to end the world, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. But a millennial cult is uh, one built around a belief that the world is imminently ending or at least going through some kind of a transitional phase into usually an era of god or an era of the devil depending on how you know optimistic they are Mm -hmm. the members of the solar temple believed they were beneficiaries of ancient wisdom from ascended masters we still vague gave you some of those guys before though we gave you some names Christ. Sure, Moses. but what's the wisdom that they know from them that we don't already know through their teachings that are recorded? Well, first of all, Carrie, these masters lived in subterranean caverns under Zurich. Okay. Where, there, where they needed no light source except their own luminous bodies. Are they spirits? Um, no. Are they, they, are they alive? Yeah, like, they, like the guy in uh, Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade? Yes. The, the last Knights Templar? Yes, but glowing instead of just tired. Cool. Now, DeMombro and his followers did believe that an apocalypse, or at least a transition for the Earth, was coming, although they were never super specific on the year, and started to, as these cults do, um, ramp ramp up the, the pace and bring the year of reckoning closer and closer as uh, things started to get more difficult for the cult. Mm-hmm. You'll see that in a lot of these stories. Mm-hmm. So, in the late 80s and early 90s, DeMombro's preaching... Uh, took a distinct turn toward more apocalyptic and more immediately apocalyptic and more, interestingly, UFO-related. Um, Aliens do often make their way in there. Material. I've seen um, some speculate that DeMombro specifically and 
consciously wanted to move away from Christian imagery to help alienate his followers a little bit more from the occult traditions they had descended from. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have any, anywhere else to go, essentially. So what were they doing to prepare for the apocalypse? The apocalypse is coming. We've got to do something. <laughs> I guess. Do you remember the whole thing with Demombro's son, Elio, being conceived on Mount Carmel because of Elias? Yeah, is he like the next coming of Jesus or whatever? No, of course not. He's the next coming of Elias. <laughs> okay, Dem- sure, why not? Because Demombro apparently felt the order's purpose was to rear nine cosmic children to help bring about this new age of Christ on Earth. Oh, here's where the banging comes in. The foremost of these children was not Elio, but Emmanuel, Demombro's second child, who was born in 1982. It must be shitty for Elio. Uh, it, it's not great, but Elio was already starting to show a distinct independent streak at, at this point. And um, if if there, if there was ever a thought that he was the Christ child, it was probably um, uh, done away with when he started asking too many questions. But I think the plan was always for this second child to be the one. Mm-hmm. She was conceived with... De- oh, Emmanuel, a girl. Yes. Mm. Uh, Emmanuel was conceived with Demombro's mistress, Dominique Belleton, mm. under the premise that this was an immaculate conception. Demombro fully admitted that she was his mistress, but said that he hadn't touched her in the conceiving of this child. I don't think so. Uh, the point was underlined with a ceremony in which one of the masters of the order, one of the high-ranking members pointed a sword at Dominique's throat and a laser beam shot out of it to illuminate her neck. What? And then there was a flash of light filling the room and Demombro declared this. God uh, had descended upon uh, Dominique. Why are you looking at me like that? Where did the lasers come from? Oh, we'll get to the lasers, Carrie. For, we'll get to the lasers? For now, all you need to know is if you were in that room, you see a laser shoot out of this guy's sword, big flash of light, and then Demombro tells you, that chick's pregnant. Following the birth of the child, the placenta was buried under a red oak tree, and no one was allowed to see Emmanuel for three months, while her stools were taken each evening and planted in the commune's vegetable garden. And I'm assuming that doesn't mean her sitting implements? It sure doesn't. They were taking all of her little poops and putting them in the garden because they're holy. So she's basically the Virgin Mary of this situation? No, she's Jesus. Emmanuel. Oh, I'm sorry. Emmanuel. I thought I got her mixed up with Dominique. Emmanuel was always referred to as he, by the way, Hmm. and made to wear protective gloves and a helmet. And she was never, underlined never, allowed to be touched by anyone other than her immediate family. Sadly, she would also die in the 1994 tragedy. God. I just, I mean, again, you you always say never me, but like, I don't know how you could be watching all this and be like, yeah, this tracks. Well, many, (laughs) many people, when this kind of really weird, when stuff started breaking bad, it's not like nobody spoke out against it in the, in the group. There were people speaking out against it, um, but not enough. And um, for some, unfortunately, the consequences would be severe. Hmm. We'll get more into the consequences for everyone of all this when we come back from our break. Oh, my goodness. 
Vanessa. Hi, Amy. And hi, hi True Crime, Crime fans. fans. We're the co-hosts of She Goes by Jane. Every week, we'll be covering the story of a missing or unidentified woman in the United States. Stories you may have heard before. And ones whose stories didn't make it into the news. We've been covering these stories for a while. First in Amy's book of poetry, Doe. And then in Vanessa's documentary, She. But now we want to share them with you here on She Goes by Jane. And each week we'll be joined by a special guest who will read a poem in honor of the women we talk about. Can we say who? We can say who. We'll be joined by actresses like Coco Jones and Gabrielle Ruiz. And musicians like Stephanie Quayle and Kelly Moneymaker. Along with authors like Louise Penny and Catherine McKenzie. So check out She Goes by Jane wherever you get your podcasts. Or check out Evergreen Podcasts and their true crime channel, Killer Podcasts. We can't wait to bring you these stories. Welcome back. Carrie, uh, in the first half of this episode, I, I hope, do you feel like you are fairly well versed in Rosicrucianism and uh, Neo-Templarism? Well, I'm, I'm versed in what we know about it. Um, I'm not versed in what they actually believe, you know? I mean, they believe in, like, the ancient masters and blah, 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 but, like, anything beyond that and what wisdom they impart. I have no idea. And that, I don't think anyone does. That's because you're not initiated, my dear. Well, that's for the best. Um, the Order of the Solar Temple had gotten off to a pretty good start in France, but secret societies... Uh, okay, so you've got a secret society. It's pretty secret, right? <laughs> sure. But if nobody knows about it, then how are you going to get anybody to join? So you do have to get the word out a little bit, kind of on back channels. And once the rest of the French New Templar scene uh, got wind of the new kids on the block, things got pretty crowded mm -hmm. and things got pretty tense once again. And in 1984, no less a figure than Jacques Breyer himself mm -mm. suggested very strongly that it might be nice if this new Order of the Solar Temple set themselves up in Quebec to, okay. to spread the Argeny movement across North America. And he wanted to get the competition out of the way? I think that probably had something to do with it. Uh, although France would still continue to be the place where I believe the group had the most members, their headquarters, for the most part, would now be in Switzerland and in a chalet complex outside of Quebec, where uh, some of Jure and Demambro's most loyal followers joined them to st help start make this community. Like a Jonestown. Uh, exactly like a beautiful little Jonestown. And, and Jure told his followers this new compound was the promised land. Mm, okay. Within the next few years, as the rhetoric continued getting more apocalyptic, a giant concrete air raid shelter was added next to the chalets. Mm, always a good sign. Now, life in the temple was pretty much, and this is where I think I draw the line between cult and whatever else you would try to call this, an occult society. Um, daily life was rigorously controlled by the two men at the top of the pyramid. With religious practices, chores, meals and money stipends, and even marriage partners selected by the 33, quote, elder brothers of the Rosy Cross, mm. which is what the top, top, top echelon of the organization was called. Isn't the highest degree of masonry the 33rd? Maybe, but these were, there were 33 of these No, guys. I know. It's just like, what's up with 33? It's a powerful number. I know three is. And this is two threes. But it's really 33. 
No, no, it's two threes right next to each it's other. It's not three comma three. It's three times 11, which is another good number. Why is that? Why is 11 a good number? Because it's two ones? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoop-de-doo. I don't know. It's a natural in craps. Isn't that how we decide what the good numbers are? You're a natural in craps. Thank you. So yes, I did. I saw you make a face. I did say even marriage partners. Yeah. Because Joe DiMambro claimed to be able to see his members' past lives, like auras. He would look at you and just go, Cleopatra. You used to be Cleopatra. I mean, yes, but... Or he might look at you and go, Henry VIII. You used to be Henry... We know that's be, not true. You used to be Henry VIII. We know that's not true. And DeMambro was very fond of swapping marriage partners around among his followers to make more, quote, cosmically powerful matches. Uh-huh. Often regardless of age or of the member's preference. And was he fond of swapping himself in as well? Oh, he himself would take whatever sexual partner he chose on a given day, although he usually restrained himself to his preferred mistresses, uh, Dominique Belleton, uh, chief among them, uh, although she had uh, her other lovers too, but she had to keep them a secret. Of course. DeMombro had many homes at this point. The one he lived in most often uh, was, I think, a 15-room mansion. Uh, and he was living high on the hog and eschewing the daily tasks of the commune that everyone else was expected to follow. Dr. Jouret, on the other hand, this is a quote from a former member who left and then tried her very best to get the uh, anti-cult authorities on this place. Mm-hmm. Before every ritual, he would have sex with one of the women to give him spiritual strength for the ceremony. He wasn't married, but he had many wives. He changed women all the time. So like the opposite of a football player. Yes. He's like, <laughs> playing the Super Bowl. He's like, I need to get it out of me first. Uh-huh. More like JFK. Yeah. Another ex-member named Rosemary Klaus said, We lived almost exclusively on peanut butter and bread. Because Joray said we must fast in order to survive the end of time. When a woman complained she was weak with hunger, we were told the sperm of the master would restore her lost strength. Ugh. I gagged. I, I literally got nauseous. Well, that's also, uh, they did that in Nexium. They did that at Jonestown. Um, food and sleep deprivation, it's cutting down your energy and you have much less gumption in you to go against what these guys are saying so when you're starving when you're exhausted um you're also losing track of your own beliefs and you're just trying to make it through your day you just need the sperm of the master i don't think so no thank you now the rituals often included apparently genuine manifestations of otherworldly power and channeling by demombro and jure but especially by demombro including the voices and the visible spectral presence of otherworldly spirits. In the middle of a ritual, thunder and lightning would crackle through the room as great masters manifested to share wisdom and visions of holy swords and the grail itself would appear um, in the middle of the room. Were these projections? Yep. They were all faked by OTS member and electrical engineer Anthony Dutois. (sighs) <sighs> this is like, this sounded like a black box production in my high school. I think Antonio, actually. They always call him Tony. Tony Dutois. Uh, Tony apparently helped rig up... <laughs> Tony Tutus. Uh, you'd be very nice to Tony. Why? Because Tony gets a bad break here in a minute. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, Tony. Tony helped to rig up secret chambers, hidden speakers, 
laser lights and slide projectors that would um, help get all these, make all these visual tricks happen during the rituals. The door to the ritual room was always dramatically waved magically open by Demombro, who literally had a remote control under his cloak. Yeah, I mean, this is the era when the clapper was big. People couldn't see through this. Uh, apparently, well, it's about what you want to believe, right? You think yes. that you're being let in on something really cool. Nobody else gets to, nobody else in the world knows that this guy can just open doors with his hand. <laughs> when Elio, of all people, in 1990, when he was age 29, heard and then helped spread a rumor that the displays were faked. He had uh, come across several of it. He came across like the grail and sword and some of the ancient master costumes in one of his dad's closets. Oh no, he found the prop room. He became super outspoken against the Order of the Solar Temple and departed publicly, loudly, and taking 15 members of the Order with him. Good for him. That must have been tough. It was 1990. Only a year later, in 1991, Rose Marie Klaus, we quoted her before, mm -hmm. um, she called a French government anti-cult agency about the Solar Temple. Now, the reason Rose Marie left the cult was because her husband, Bruno, had recently been remarried to another cult member. It's got a sting. Against Rose Marie's wishes. How did Bruno feel about it? Bruno would later die in a cult ritual, so I think he was a firm believer. Mm. But more on that later. Mm -hmm. Now, just as Rosemary Klaus gave, made her call, and they, they said, okay, we will look into it, whatever we can do. Um, simultaneously, a letter came from a Martinique organization complaining about some of the locals in Mart Martinique, the island, mm -hmm. giving all of their property to some apocalyptic cult in Quebec. The two actually hooked up, and Rosemary Klaus actually went to Martinique to speak at events uh, against the cult, actually leading a bunch of Martinique-based cult members to head to Canada to demand their money back. Good for her. I mean, again, that must have been kind of scary, especially with people with a bunch of influence and stuff. Um, this was not what... This is not what Joe DiMambro wanted to be dealing with, especially when he was already dealing with cult members asking so many uncomfortable questions about the ritual room and the laser lights and the slide projectors. This is the, the time when Jim Jones was getting pushback and he decided to move to Guyana. Uh, yeah, tension is starting to ramp up here. In 1992, the French government was investigating unrelated and probably hoaxed, actually, death threats against several uh, members of parliament. The threats were allegedly from a group calling itself Q37 oh, because it was boy. apparently supposed to be 37 people from Quebec. Mm -hmm. And the French government was cracking down on gun sales and looking for these terrorists right around the time that Luc Jure sent two temple members to pick up three semi-automatic pistols with silencers. It always... The guns always come into it. And you now here's the thing. I don't know. These and guys... Silencers. These guys had all kinds of wisdom from ancient masters, but I don't think they were that wise because they bought these guns from a cop. Well, they might not have been... Uh, they might have been wise, but they certainly weren't smart. <laughs> um, so, Jure and these two other cult members get arrested for trying to buy an illegal firearm. Stupid. And they got off with probation, but all of a sudden scrutiny was very close on the order of the Solar Temple. And this also killed Jure's public speaking and medical career. Yeah. 
And so the That's order... what happens when you buy firearms for a cult. And so with that, the order had just lost its highest profile recruiting tool. Now, meanwhile, not only was there dissension growing because of the illusions in the ritual room, uh, there was also dissension in the ranks as rumors spread that the elder brothers, especially Joseph de Mombro himself, were using the order as their own personal piggy bank. Oh, now you question it? They're already using it as their own personal brothel. Well, Tony Dutois finally apparently found proof of DeMambro's embezzlement, or whatever he found, it made him believe it enough that he, one of the most loyal members up to that point, revealed his part in the deception and the ritual illusions to other cult members before leaving the cult with his wife, Nikki. Nikki, at this time, I think was already deeply pregnant. Nikki Dutois had been ordered by DeMombro not to bear children after she and uh, her husband had a miscarriage. So mm. DeMombro declared Nikki and Tony's union unsound cosmically and said, you guys can stay together, I guess, but no kids. You're not allowed. Okay. So upon leaving Switzerland and moving to Quebec, the couple promptly had a baby and named him Christopher Emmanuel. So he's still believing some of this stuff even well, though he he more than anyone knows it's bs well it might just have been a finger in the eye to demombro and mm-hmm. certainly to demombro it was an unforgivable mystical insult he felt the dutois were trying to usurp his own emmanuel's place as the once in future ultimate secret master trademark or whatever <laughs> well i think there's also some sort of um superstition about naming children after either living or dead people depends on the culture absolutely maybe that factored into it as well now to joe demombro there could only be one reason and one explanation for all this the new baby was the antichrist the baby didn't pick its name the new baby was the antichrist and the final changes were finally upon the earth god now the version of millenarianism he had gotten to by now differs from usual Christian and Christian-related versions in that DeMombro didn't think the apocalypse would happen. You know, like, what do you have? You have a a, a rapture, and then you have an apocalypse, and then eventually there will be a new age of heaven on earth, right? Mm -hmm. Instead, to DeMombro, the faithful were meant to leave earth to its fate and go create the kingdom of heaven on another literal planet. Like Heaven's Gate. Which they would only reach by leaving their earthly bodies behind for, Mm -hmm. quote, glorious solar bodies Mm -hmm. that they were supposed to receive when they reached the star Sirius. Mm -hmm. I think it's Sirius. DeMombro says Sirius in a couple places. Other solar temple members have mentioned Jupiter and Venus as possible destinations. They have different outposts. It's vague. (laughs) As I told you, Jure and DeMombro's preaching had already gotten more apocalyptic in the early 90s. And in 1993, things took a much darker turn as the walls began closing in. There was the police interest and what DeMombro saw as public persecution of the group, as well as internal dissension and mistrust. On top of that, you had DeMombro's own children rejecting him and rejecting the cult, rejecting his message. Um, At this point, Emmanuel hadn't exposed him and tried to leave or anything, but she was expressing interest in pop music and normal teen girl stuff. And mm-hmm. DeMombro felt that things weren't exactly going according to plan for making her this kind of perfect christ child yeah it sucks how people's free will can do that (laughs) but demombro's decision to pull the ripcord on this whole thing may have also been influenced by his own failing health 
He was suffering from kidney failure, and as a result of that, he was incontinent, wearing diapers all the time, and had recently been diagnosed with or started suffering some pretty heavy symptoms from diabetes. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think he might have also believed himself to have cancer, too, although he wasn't diagnosed. So, Demombre, that's a dangerous thing when you have a cult leader who believes that they're on their way out anyway. Mm -hmm. Might as well take everyone with me. And so it was that Demombro and Jure, and I don't know what he's getting out of this, started actively planning their transits. They were I guess appar- he must have believed. And they were apparently bummed that they were, had been scooped by David Koresh. <laughs> uh, this is from tapes that Swiss police retrieved. Um, in 1993, uh, this is a snippet of a conversation from the two of them. Demombro goes, people have beaten us to the punch, you know. And Jure says... Well, uh, yeah, Waco beat us to the punch. And DeMombro said, in my opinion, we should have gone six months before them. What we'll do will be even more spectacular. Mm-hmm. They were on tape. Yeah. Wow. Finally, when all the preparations were made, on October 3rd, 1994, DeMombro gave 300 envelopes to a member of the order to be mailed on October 7th. They were addressed to journalists and public figures and government officials all over the world, explaining the reasons for the upcoming transit. The world is dying, and we're headed to the new one. Quoting directly from one of the testaments here, The race is heading irreversibly toward its own destruction. All of nature is turning against those who have abused it, who have corrupted and desecrated it on every level. Man will pay heavy tribute, for he remains no less than the only one responsible for it awaiting favorable conditions for a possible return, we will not participate in the annihilation of the human kingdom, no more than we will allow our bodies to be dissolved by the alchemical slowness of nature, because we don't want to run the risk of their being soiled by madmen and maniacs. Says the madman and maniac. (laughs) In an attached letter specifically to the French Minister of the Interior, Sent in all of the envelopes, but addressed to the French Minister of the Interior, um, DeMombro specifically blamed the French government for the deaths of the OTS members. We accuse you of having attempted to deliberately destroy our order for the purposes of state. Mr. Pasqua, we accuse you of premeditated group murder. As a result, we have decided to leave the terrestrial plane ahead of time, because we are aware of your desire to destroy the work we have accomplished. So much like Jamestown. Yes. Oh, he, he, like, it, you you made us do this kind of stuff. Yep. The language of a man who feels backed into a corner and is now just taking all of these dum-dums out with him. Not necessarily dum-dums. They were brainwashed. On October 4th, 1994, Montreal police and firefighters were called to a blazing condo complex in Morin Heights. Inside, they found Jerry and Coulette Janoud who were members of the Solar Temple, dead from the fire. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until they were searching after the blaze had burned out that they found, hidden in a storage closet, three more bodies. They were Tony Dutois, who had been stabbed more than 50 times in the back. Mm. His wife, Nikki, stabbed eight times in the back, four in the throat, and a symbolic stab through each breast for having nursed the Antichrist. God. Three-month-old Christopher was stabbed in the chest at least six times. It's not totally clear what he was stabbed with, but there was a wooden stake covered in blood and discarded in a bag next to the bodies. That poor baby. 
Police determined the murders had taken place on September 30th, four days before. And were the Junodes the ones who had killed them? Uh, Presumably? I'll I'll tell you what the police believe on that in just a a minute, because that wasn't the last crime scene that was found on October 4th. I had a feeling. At almost the same time in Sherry, Switzerland, police were called to a burning barn at La Rochette Farm. Inside the farmhouse, they found gas cans wired up to detonation devices that were ready to go off, but hadn't yet. One man, shot dead with a bag over his head, waited nearby, but there was no hole in the bag and no gun lying there, so it was hard to believe that this was a suicide. The police searched long into the night before they finally found a hidden room in the farmhouse with 10 or 15 open briefcases on the floor. The papers spilling out of the briefcases mentioned something they'd never heard of, something called the Order of the Solar Temple. It looked like there had been some kind of a meeting going on, but there were no people. Mm -hmm. Another hidden door led to another hidden room, this one containing 18 human bodies. They were all dressed in white capes and arranged in a circle like the spokes on a wheel. Mm Mm-hmm. In another adjacent room, this one full of mirrors, there were three more bodies lying on the floor. And in one last room, there was this whole kind of warren of secret ritual what rooms. A nightmare. In one last room, there was yet another body. It was 23 total dead. How did they die? 20 of them were shot with one gun. The same gun? Yes. Mm-hmm. 14 of them had plastic bags over their heads. I think the three remaining uh, were drugged and then died in the fire. Police say most of the victims were likely killed the day before, October 3rd. Mm -hmm. So they think all of these were murder, including the plastic bag ones? Uh, We can talk about that. I think that's a pretty open question, actually. Okay. The following day, on October 5th, 1994, in Grange-sur-Salvant, Switzerland, another fire broke out in a complex of three chalets, all owned by the Order of the Solar Temple. And upon arrival there, authorities found 25 bodies scattered around two of the chalets. God. Among the dead were Luc Juret, Joseph de Mambro, Dominique Belleton, and jo- Joel Egger, who likely were the ones who had murdered the Dutois in Quebec, mm. and both of de Mambro's children, who were almost certainly murdered. So Emmanuel and... Elio, who had left the temple. Yeah, why was he back? Um, That's a good open question, and he probably wasn't willing. Man, that Uh, sucks. It's been speculated, and I think this sounds reasonable. It doesn't sound reasonable, you know what I mean. It sounds possible. Possible. Uh, DeMombro may have wanted to give that appearance of family reunification in death Mm -hmm. when his uh, estranged son was found amongst the dead. You asked uh, about who killed the Dutoits, Carrie? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Dominique Belleton, remember Emmanuel's mother? Yes. And Joel Egger um, have been speculated as the most likely murderers of the Dutoits. They were very um, high up to the top of the organization, and it's thought they probably went to do the murder and then left the other two cult members to clean up over the next four days and then set fire to the house and kill themselves inside while um, Dominique and Joel got to go back and, you know, head to the main party. 
you're really taking a lot on faith expecting these people to do all that. I mean, they did, but, you know, if you want a job done, you usually do it yourself. Yeah, especially if it's like, yeah, so you just get that done and I'll see you and in, uh, never mind, I'll be dead. Yeah, you get that done and um, I guess kill yourself. Yeah. Jeez. But, but they did it. Mm-hmm. Now, you also asked, were these people murdered? Were, did these people kill themselves? Yes. A Swiss judge at the inquest concluded 15 of these total deaths, including the Canada ones, mm-hmm. were true suicides. Did that include DeMombro and Jure? Yes, uh, DeMombro and Jure did kill themselves, yeah. Um, the judge said that that leaves 30 victims that mm-hmm. the judge said were lured into drinking tranquilizers before being shot. So they didn't even know this was happening? Um, I actually, th- based on what I've read from, like there was one woman who alerted Swiss police or, yeah, Swiss police right after this happened. And she was upset they hadn't taken her with them. Mm-hmm. And she was saying to the police like, oh, I might have been too afraid they may have had to... Uh, uh, execute me or I wouldn't have been able to come along. So I think these people might have been brought along for the, for the ride, mm-hmm. but you can't, but they're, they didn't really understand their choice. Just like Jonestown. <laughs> Certainly didn't. If they, if they did make the choice, then they thought they were going somewhere. They weren't. Yeah. Seven traitors, as the group called them, were executed, including the three members of the Jutois family. Who were the others? Uh, people who had talked to the press. And they were there or they were in other places? No, they were in the, these two houses in Switzerland. I don't know if I'd talk to the press and then go back to this place. Oh, I think they were probably dragged there. God, okay. And that is the end of the story, almost. Because in December 1995, 16 more Solar Temple members were found dead in the woods near Grenoble, France. Remember, France was where the group had the most of its members. Mm -hmm. Most of these 16 were drugged. All of them were shot with the bodies burned. The 14 burned bodies were arranged in a circle, while the other two, unburned, were identified as a French cop Mm. and a French immigration inspector who had shot the others and started the fire. Uh, The notes left behind by some of these victims talked about, quote, going to see another world. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's likely they were still participating in the same ritual that Jure and Dumambro had set them on all those years before. Sad. And on March 27th of 1997, more five solar temple member oh. five solar temple members were found dead in a home in St. Casimir, Quebec. An elderly woman had been suffocated with a plastic bag, and four more adults had died in a fire that consumed the house, all having taken tranquilizers. Bruno Klaus was among them. Hmm. There were three teenagers on the scene as well who were spared. About halfway through the ritual, they kind of apparently went, we don't want to be here anymore. And the adults said, oh, you don't have to. You can go. Thank God. Were there any other children aside from Emmanuel that were killed uh, previously? Yes. A handful. I think four children, children and two teens. Hmm. Because they're yeah, these people and had. They're not making that choice. These people had children. Uh, the the cult, as I said, wanted to produce nine cosmic children. I think they had five at the time of the deaths. Mm-hmm. All very young, probably. Yes. Except for the teens. Uh, that's horrible. 
That's a horrible story, Sean. And that's the horrible story of the Solar <laughs> Temple. Um, God. I want to thank our uh, sources on this. I got a little bit of information from the Watchmen Fellowship, but there's two books. Um, one, How the Millennium Comes Violently by Catherine Wessinger is a great book. It's not all about the Solar Temple, um, but if you're interested in death cults, it is all about millennial death cults. So mm-hmm. she's got good Jonestown material in there. She's got good... Um, Branch Davidian content in there. She's got good Om Shinrikyo content. Uh, they're definitely one of those, yeah. So um, that's a great book. And then there was also the best book on this topic specifically that I've seen is The Order of the Solar Temple, The Temple of Death by James Lewis. So much detail. And you'll really learn a ton about Rosicrucianism, which uh, it's one of those counterintuitive kinds of learning where the more you learn, the dumber you feel <laughs> at the end of it. But in mm-hmm. any case, uh, great fascinating book and if this uh, topics of interest to you i swear to you there's a lot that i wasn't able to cover wow well there it is um i don't even know what to say it's a it's a sad story it's sad for many of those people who were brainwashed into these beliefs it's sad for the children who never had a choice much was made in the media at the time of like oh and the, none of these people were losers yeah, uh, it doesn't matter. Anyone could be brainwashed. Yeah, certainly. Um, and in Heaven's Gate, I think you see a lot of the same stuff in media reports. You see, like, like, oh, these are smart people. These are scientists and uh, college professors and stuff. How could this happen? It can still happen. It doesn't matter how smart you are. But it does matter Which how gullible sc- you are, and that's why. <laughs> that's why you just have to always ask yourself why these people are saying what they're saying. Yeah. You know why we're doing it. Why we're doing a podcast? Why we're talking, yeah. Because we like talking about this stuff. Yeah. Because we, we have a basement and... Uh... <laughs> yeah, we're not a cult. Maybe a folie a deux, but not a cult. Right. But you shouldn't trust us either. If we say something that's interesting, you should go look it up. Yeah. So th- that's what I would say. You don't trust no one. Is that a good lesson? <laughs> Um, it's one of Fox Mulder's biggest tenets of his belief system from X-Files. Um, so yeah. you're, you're the Mulder today. Okay. Unlike Let, usual. Let's go with that. <laughs> Trust no one. I'm the Mulder. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com It's true crime time. There are some updates in the strange case of the Murdoch family murders. If you recall from the last time we discussed the case or have seen on the news, the Murdoughs are a well-connected South Carolina family with many ties to the state legal system going back generations. 
The family had experienced a series of very unfortunate events by the last time we discussed them. Well, preposterous events. I mean, it's wild. In 2019, son Paul Murdaugh was boating under the influence when he crashed, causing the death of a 19-year-old girl. That's also known as a teddy on the lake. Oh, jeez. Uh, in June of 2021, lawyer and family patriarch Alex Murdaugh found his wife Margaret and his son Paul shot outside of their home in an apparent murder. Yeah, Alex's father, Randolph Murdaugh III, died. Alex was forced to resign from his law firm and then was shot uh, by a roadside in fall of 2021. And then it came out that he had not only ordered the hit on himself so that his surviving son, Buster, could collect a $10 million life insurance payment. The second your suicide involves a second person, you're doing too much. Yeah. Um, The family also had experienced a strange death back in 2018 that just came out when their housekeeper, Gloria Satterfield, died in their home. And that particular case was being reopened in light of the recent developments. Okay, so now we're here (laughs) and um, we have some updates. Oh, my God. Alex Murdaugh was arrested in connection with his own shooting back in September of last year and released to rehab to await trial. A civil suit was filed by the family of Gloria Satterfield, and Alex Murdaugh was once again arrested, this time with mis- uh, with charges of misappropriating insurance settlement funds uh-huh. in connection with Satterfield's wrongful death suit. Well, he, he is, he's like a problematic gambler, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's got a lot of stuff going on, running drugs and such. And it was recently announced that Gloria's body would be exhumed sometime soon, so I guess they're trying to see if she was murdered. Then Alex Murdaugh was charged with 27 counts of financial misconduct. And then a grand jury issued seven more indictments accusing him of financial crimes, totaling 21 counts. You know, this there's so many murders in this case, and there's so many embezzlement charges now, and no murder charges. So weird. We're, we're getting there. We're getting there. At this point, his 48 total charges included forgery, money laundering, computer crimes, breach of trust with fraudulent intent, and obtaining signature or property by false pretenses. Then, this January, a South Carolina state grand jury added 23 new charges (laughs) against Alex, including 19 counts of breach of trust with fraudulent intent and four counts of computer crimes. More computer crimes? Mm Mm-hmm. Then, he was indicted again! with connection to an alleged eight-year money laundering and painkiller ring, bringing us to 81 total charges. But those 81 are piddling compared to what would come next. Piddling? Carrie, no! Piddling! In July of this year, Alex Murdaugh was indicted in connection with the 2021 murders of his wife and son, Sean. Oh! Uh, including two counts of murder and two counts of possession of a weapon during the commission of a violent crime, which so, seems to go along with the murder angle. But So when you first hear about the wife and son dying, you go, oh, the dad did it. And then it's like, you know, oh, wait, there's so much more interesting stuff to the story. And now we'll, all this time <laughs> later, we're coming back around to, oh, the dad did it. Yes. Uh, new details about the murders have come to light. And this is from People Magazine. Quote, A law enforcement source close to the investigation told People that on the night of the murders, Alex allegedly reached out to Maggie, his wife, asking her to meet him at the family's 1,770-acre estate. Did they both live there? I don't know. 
I don't know what. Yeah. Oh, okay. It goes into it. She, uh, they were vaguely separated. According to the source, Alex told Maggie that his 81-year-old father, Randolph Murdaugh III, was in failing health, which he was, and that she needed to see him before he died. Which she didn't. Well, according to several sources, Maggie and Alex had hit a rough patch in their marriage, and she was staying at the family's beach house on Adisto Island, approximately an hour away from the family estate. See, this is why I want a beach house approximately an hour away from the family estate, just in case. Just in case. The law enforcement... A source told people that Maggie initially declined to meet Alex at the family home, suggesting instead that they meet at the hospital. Ultimately, she consented to meet at the property, planning to follow Alex to the hospital in her own vehicle. Oh, good. Now you're safe. On the way to the house, Maggie allegedly messaged a friend saying that something about her husband's behavior felt fishy, the law enforcement source says. He's up to something, Maggie allegedly wrote to her friend. Not long after that, Maggie and Paul were killed. How did it take this long for this guy to get charged? I think they were probably just building the case. This week, lawyers have pushed for the civil trial to be put on hold with these murder charges pending. Is that Uh, about the computer crimes? No, sorry. This is a different civil trial than the one about Gloria Sittenfield's death, or Satterfield's death. This is the civil trial brought by the parents of the young woman killed in the drunk boating accident caused by the now-deceased Paul Murdaugh. Oh, when he went tedding on the lake. Yeah, but they're bringing a civil suit, and um, the lawyers for Murdaugh are like, no, we can't have this going on at the same time, because the argument is the case could unearth incriminating information against Murdaugh, which prosecutors in the office of uh, South Carolina Attorney General Alan Wilson could then use to help them make their murder case. It's almost like they know it's going to happen. Yeah. So we've yet to hear how the the judge will rule in this situation. I think the hearing might be today. Uh, but considering Murdaugh's luck so far, it may not be in his favor. We'll be sure to keep all of you updated with any more crazy twists in this story of dark and hidden family secrets. Oh, who? his wife, himself. Who do you think he'll hire someone to kill next? God only knows. Hopefully himself again, though, right? We just need to get Buster to a safe house. That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary. And check out our website at ain'titscary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash ain'titscary. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and also on Spotify. We'll be forever grateful. We certainly will. And we always want to give special thanks to our beloved top-tier patrons. By the way, come and join them. They're a fun group and we have a, we have a good old time on uh, Discord. <laughs> and we just mailed out some stickers to everyone, some oh. free stickers. Yeah, uh, guys, let us know how you like those because we're thinking about what the designs on the next batch are going to be. Mm-hmm. And a special thanks to our top tier patrons, Nate Curtis, Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, Maria Ferrante, Robin McCabe, Comfy Mike, Alex Nakutis, Ryan Regan, Christy Atchison, and Ira. We love you guys. <laughs> See you next Thursday. Show created by Sean and Carrie McCabe, music by Kyle Ryan, and you can find Kyle at his YouTube channel, Music is a Verb. Ain't It Scary has been brought to you by Killer Podcasts and is a production of Longboy Media. (sighs) 
I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download American Vigilante now.